This is the legendary Tom DeFalco, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Tell all your friends, because these guys are going to pay me a buck every time a new listener tunes in. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider-Talk my name is Dan Gavostin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Archinocchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for our 10th episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, what's going on this episode? I thought that Amazing Spider-Talk was just all about talking about classic issues of Spider-Man. I didn't know that there were new issues of Spider-Man still coming out. Well, surprise, after five weeks or so, there's a new issue of Spider-Man. Yeah. And that... The series have been canceled. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe, I'm sure some people wish that was the case, but not us. We're here to talk about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 10 by Dan Slott and Giuseppe Comancoli. And then we'll review your comments and emails and giveaways and prizes and then discuss all the spider news that's fit to print. It's a pretty heavy week. Uh, so, uh, Mark, we're a little behind schedule. So I see no sense in delaying our discussion about Amazing Spider-Man Number 10. That wasn't your worst transition ever, Dan. No, but it was a transition, and that's about the bar that I'm I'm at right now. It's okay. Just, it 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 functionally was a transition. It is a perfectly cromulent transition. There you go. Scrum trulescent. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, um, we're we're making jokes, but uh, this is actually a pretty good issue of Spider-Man to be talking about here, Dan. Um, I thought that you know we 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 certainly liked. The last issue enough, but we were even joking, are we grading things on a curve right now? But but I feel like uh, with this issue, the, the, the general thrust of the narrative is kind of settled into a groove and, and the results were pretty good. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I actually would. I, I nervously posted my review of this issue on the site being like, am I overrating this thing? And may, maybe I did, but uh, then everybody on, on Twitter and on our comments feed like responded with how much they love this issue too. And I thought, okay, good. Because there's something I thought like halfway through this, I, I, I realized, oh, these are the voices and the characters that I recognize. Like just something just clicked in the writing and this was Peter Parker. And, and whether that might be a low threshold to meet, but there was something very fun in reading 
what I thought was a very accomplished version of that character. Well, you know, and 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 I know what you're saying, like, oh, it's a, it's are we setting our standards too low? But I mean, actually, I I, I kind of I'm going to choose to look at this through a different lens, Dan. It's that I I, I think. Dan Slott, as a writer, has some really interesting ideas for this universe that are a little different and outside the box. Um, but when I feel like the characterization is off and that we're getting moments from characters that really don't fit the characters, they just drive the story, that's where we get frustrated. And in this instance, I feel like this was an issue where the, the characters were driving the story, but the characters were true to themselves. And I think, and 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 I think at the end, we got a really satisfying story out of it. That was something different. We I don't, I don't feel like there were some themes certainly that were consistent with old spy, classic Spidey tales from the past. But you know, with all these new circumstances and the Zodiac as a threat, and and Parker Industries and his support system, I felt we got a better story out of it because it's something we haven't seen to this extent before. Yeah, and it's cer- it's certainly not like you know a, a, a classic Spidey tale in that we're dealing with his you know like you know family in New York and things like that. But this to me felt like a classic Spider-Man tale with this that really embraced this new status quo. And and it's something that you and I have uh, been really critical of this book about is you know has it fully embraced the new status quo and. And I felt like, first of all, the location was really a big part of this. I mean, the channel sequences felt very uniquely uh, part of a grander scheme. And then by the end of the book, when Spider-Man calls on this full cast of characters, I thought, this is what this character should be doing in this universe. If you're going to expand this cast, he should be calling on all of their different expertises uh, all the time. And and I was really pleased to see uh, to see that happen in this book. Yeah, I mean, and he's delegating in a way here that I don't feel he delegated well earlier in this run, and then like going back to Spider Verse, where you know he was captain of Team Spidey, but it just always felt like he was getting bailed out. Like this was a case of him working with others, but it, it felt collaborative, and it felt like he was just using the resources that were available to him, not that he needed to be bailed out per se. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think the same goes with, you know, I guess the more personal connections in this book when he uses the help of Anna Maria and the living brain to kind of help him figure this out. And yes, they help him get ahead on things that perhaps he missed. Uh, Like he forgets, a little strangely, he forgets his reasoning for going into outer space in the previous issue. Um, but to my mind, that's not so grievous of a characterization because that is classic Peter, which is like rushing into things before fully thinking it through. And, uh, you know, and they get to remind him, oh, hey, you sprung into action. Like you didn't really need to do that. And, and, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think that that is well within the rational explanation for Peter and it, and it allows him to still be the driving force of the book without Anna Maria, you know, taking over by being the one smarter than him. Right. As we've complained in the past. Absolutely. Um, but let's let's start at the beginning because I think the beginning, you know, in terms of what I was talking about earlier about kind of having a classic Spider-Man aesthetic to it. I mean, you know, we open with right where we picked off in the last issue with the Zodiac kind of approaching a, a, a battered Spider-Man. And, you know, he's been stripped of all of his doodads and technology, his web shooters. And, you know, like 
maybe the, the, the narrative is a little too on the nose, but I appreciated the fact that we have a moment here where, where Spider-Man is, is kind of on the verge of defeat and he's like, yeah, you know, but I'm still Spider-Man. There's still things I can do to save the day, which is, I feel like a beat we haven't gotten in a while from this character. Yeah, yeah, I like I like the lip service that he paid to to that uh, specific notion that that even without my gadgetry, I'm I'm still Spider Man and I can still do things. And then, you know, in, in classic Spidey fashion, we have a villain that uh, exploits Spidey's weakness of having to save our our strength, maybe <laughs> of having to save. Uh, uh, all the civilians uh, around him. What did you think of that of that beat, and then the follow-up beat of the civilians rushing to his aid? Oh, bo- both were great. Although, you know, I know there are some people that always like will argue against regular civilians defending Spider-Man. They feel like you know everyone should just think he's a menace. But I feel in this new status quo, that's not that's for that's this is understandable that people would come to his aid. But I I, I truly enjoyed it. It, it actually. Reminded me of the Moreland story we talked way back um, in terms of like Moreland just, you know, to draw Spider-Man out, just started going after civilians. And I, and I felt like Zodiac did a similar thing here. Um, but I also liked how Spider-Man had to like really pause because he's like, well, I can't use this, you know, my acid webbing or my this or my that. I just have to push him out of the way. And it, and it, and it, and it worked. It worked really well to see him kind of sacrifice himself so dramatically and then you know to have the payoff of the kind of the group kind of surrounding to protect him yeah it may be out of spider-man 2 the movie but uh yeah i agree with you the new status quo i think really uh you know it establishes that he's like a national like a worldwide figure and and is beloved worldwide even if it's just through advertising so yeah i totally bought that moment and i like the follow-up moment to it where he kind of pauses and is like hey thanks for helping me out back there uh, it, it felt very like it really grounded him as kind of a down to earth figure. Yeah, it just replaced like all the New York and Brooklyn accents with French accents, I guess. Right? You know, from if you're talking about the Spider Man Two scene, where it's like, "Yeah, you don't mess with him." It's like chocolate bleu. I was hoping, I was hoping that we would get another terrible accent from you right there. There we go. <laughs> you live you live the Spider Man alone. <laughs> now I go eat my cheese and my wine. <laughs> Oh God! I can't wait to get these emails. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, friends. What did you think about how that scene concluded? Because it kind of bugged me that, like, right as he's about to like kill Spider-Man or whatever, uh, you know, which is dramatic. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. He gets like called away by the Gemini twins, who like any time you get called away by some kind of like soothsayering or fortune tellering it's i feel like that has not been fully developed enough that i know how it works to not think that this was kind of a cheat yeah it was a cop-out there's no way around it and, the, and and these are the moments that i think kind of prevent this issue from transcending from very good to great but yeah i mean it's 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 definitely a, a convenient twist in the story that's there because it's like you know we want to build the Zodiac up as a threat and that Spider-Man's back on his heels. But, you know, you obviously can't have him administer the kill shot there. Um, so we need to come up with some lame excuse to get him to go away. And that 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 didn't work for me. I mean, um, as lame excuses go, like, I don't even understand how this works because, like, wouldn't they have known that already? Like, just like two minutes prior, they were like, 
they told him exactly where to stand so that he could kill Spider-Man. Like they couldn't see two more minutes. Yeah, I, 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 I really can't no prize this one, Dan. Yeah, I, I, no, I, me, I, me neither. Um, it's 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 a little disappointing. I mean, I, I I feel in general the 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 um the Zodiac's powers are just very muddy and kind of like come and go where convenient. I mean, even like uh, the scene where where um they're brainwashing the um the the the, the shuttle conductors and i'm just kind of like wait they can do like i i i i wasn't following it like i was like when, when since when can they do this i mean they made kind of a reference to it in previous issues where he suggests to the gemini twins that he like made them the gemini twins but there's not really any idea of like what that means so like this kind of answered that but yeah it was totally weird and for me the big weird one was that like scorpio has like a like a venom symbiote like suit which, like, I had thought in issues prior, we had that shot of him in his office with the suit, like, hanging on a chair in his closet. And right. I thought, oh, I, I thought it was just a suit, but apparently it's, like, this nanofiber kind of construct. Yeah, it's very vague in terms of what what these abilities are. But, um, yeah, like I said, it's a definite weakness to the story, but, I mean, at least there was there was still a decent amount of tension established, I think just from the part that Spider-Man was playing in this, in this story, which is progress to me. Uh, you know what sure. I mean? Um, we got these cutaway scenes in this story, which um, were kind of obviously flashing over to set up, start setting up dead, no more, more tangibly with the man in red and kind of recruiting people. Um, I found these were interesting from a oh you know kind of building towards the, this new this new story. But what do you think these did for the flow of the story that was being told in this issue overall? I mean, I, I think they're fine scenes, but uh, I, I don't know how you feel. But I, I felt like it kind of broke me away from the action, uh, which was so like it was really headed somewhere in in the in the A story and and cutting away to this. And I think. I think maybe that's made even worse by the fact that we got the Dead No More teaser just like a few days prior. So like we kind of already knew that all these people were going to be involved. So it removed a lot of the surprise of like, oh, Electro and the Lizard and, and things like that are are already like a, a part of this. Um, although yeah. it, was, it was interesting to see Electro be like depowered um, officially in this in this canon. Yeah, I mean – I agree with you, but then again, this isn't something that that's unusual. I mean, hell, even going back to like, you know, like the DeFalco Friends days, you know, you'd be telling a story and then you'd be flashing over to a, a, B, a B scene where like the Hobgoblin and the Rose would be mingling with each other, you know, setting up a future story. So it's not outside the limits of what what to expect in this kind of narrative structure, you know? Well, yeah, all my all my past remembered, which we just talked about a couple of weeks ago, does that with the hobgoblin, and I think we barely touched on that when we were when we were talking about the issue because it just seems like such a non-point. Yeah, and and you know that's but the power of hindsight. I mean, you know, I think I think it's more it's more prevalent here because, like you mentioned, we have these dead no more teasers, so it kind of feels like are we just over, trying to hit people in the head with with this dead no more information. Um, but 
you know, maybe 10 years from now, people will look back on these comics and think differently. Like, oh, yeah, that's where they were starting to introduce this storyline. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. We, we, what, what did you think? Because uh, I couldn't tell whether this was a thing or not. Did, did the rhino get a new costume? Um, it looked updated. I don't know how new new it is. I but... mean, it's, to me, it looked black, but I couldn't tell if that was just like because of the lighting, because it was nighttime. But like to me, I, I had not seen the rhino drawn. It just looked like he was wearing a black costume. Um, well, that... I found the I found the coloring to be odd throughout on this because I, I mean, in these sequences, because you know when we talked about this in our article on the website last week about who is the man in red. You know, I had mentioned I thought it was I thought he had blonde hair and you said gray. And I mean, like I'm looking at this on my iPad and it looks blonde to me, but that well, could just I'm, be. I'm looking at it on the comic. You know, the, the iPad can often brighten things up considerably. You know, you get right. true colors and stuff. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it could really throw off our predictions if we have two very different <laughs> hair colors. Well, I was going to say, like, I mean, like the rhino's costume looked a little like maybe a shade darker, but not like black black you know what i mean so i don't know yeah, what you're it, saying it looked black to me so maybe maybe i ought to take a look at this digitally okay i mean or maybe i'm just losing my sense of color <laughs> no no i actually have a, re- a red green colorblind weakness so you can't always trust me oh, okay understood um <laughs> so do we want to i mean we, we have the article up on the site but do we want to just kind of briefly summarize our, our man in red theories here while yeah, we're talking uh, about yeah, these scenes yeah that sounds appropriate to do here um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I definitely came out with an out there prediction and, but the more I think, I think your prediction is probably right. But, but why don't you start with your, why don't we start with probably the most logical one and then I'll sell my very crazy one. Okay. Well, I, I, I feel bad about this because I felt kind of lazy going with this and, and, and I tweeted to Dan Slott, Hey, are we, uh, are, are we any, uh, are we close to this at all? And of course he's not going to respond. No. Uh, but uh, I felt bad then after after I tweeted to him because I'm like, oh yeah, I said that my guess at the jackal was lazy, and I think <laughs> like vis a vis he could think that I was calling him lazy, but if it is the jackal, and I very strongly think it's the jackal that is the man in red, and I guess the big reasonings would be that new Dead No More teaser where we see the man in red cavorting with. Gwen Stacy and they're both. I guess they're champagne glasses. Is that? Yeah, yeah. They like the the liquid itself looks like wine, but they're like champagne flutes. So uh, they're celebrating something, and they look kind of like cheek to cheek, which suggests some kind of odd romance. Um, and when I think odd romance, I think Miles Warren, um, or I guess I could think Norman Osborn. <laughs> In a certain light. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, go there. The less said about that light, the better. It's Norman Osborn with Miles Warren's face on it and a new headdress. Yeah, there you go. So uh, the other thing is this headdress, which, uh, you know, to my eyes, looks like a jackal, um, which calls, calls to mind uh, Anubis, the Egyptian god of the afterlife. Um Miles Warren, as far as I know, has no connections with Egypt or Egyptian myth, um, but he never looked like a jackal before. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he was a green monster. I know. I don't know how. Do you have any idea how the name the jackal ever became associated with that green I, costume? I think it just had something to do with the fact that he was like 
kind of a master of subterfuge and fighting dirty and things like that. I think that was kind of what it was supposed to play into. We should ask Jerry Conway that. Yeah, like why, I, why I, Jack? I would be curious about that. Um, you, so, you know, I, I will do that next time. Yeah. <laughs> and so like this new costume to me looks like he might actually be wearing a jackal costume. And uh, so there's that. And then the biggest thing, which I discovered after we wrote the article and I updated the article, is that if you look in one of the images here, when the man in red is talking to the lizard, you can see glasses wrapping around his face or, or I guess resting on his ear. Right. Uh, and in terms of villains that wear glasses, I think Miles Warren stands alone. Although uh, Zeke pointed out – our guest from last episode pointed out that Ty Stone also wears glasses. Right. But I mean you know, just to feed your theory some credibility, I mean it would make sense for Warren to be – "Quote unquote," resurrecting all of these characters because you know if he like digs up you know we have we still have the the mist you know Chekhov's Doc Ock grave you know what yeah. I mean like from from the Superior run so I mean if he's going around digging up all these dead bodies to get DNA to do cloning then there you go you know what I mean yeah. like like I said Dan I I I don't think you're way off I mean here here is here is my issue why I I'm going I I'm leaning in a different direction it's just you know, and granted, we kind of went through this during Superior with who is the Green Goblin, but my, my, you know, if we're doing all this, you know, again, subterfuge to be who is this character, who is this man in red, we never see his face. There is a very pronounced mystery element here. And, you know, if the reveal ends up being, you know, Miles Warren in a new costume, or, you know, I always think back to, that episode of The Simpsons where with Malibu Stacy and Lisa the Lionhearted doll. Do you, have you seen this one, Dan? No, I, I don't a, know this one. This is old school. This is like first few seasons where like there's a talking Malibu Stacy doll and Lisa, you know, it says like very sexist, misogynistic things like, you know, women belong in the kitchen. So Lisa like uh, collaborates with like another toy manufacturer to make like a strong, independent woman talking doll. And... Um, to counter that, the Malibu Stacy uh, people just make a new Malibu Stacy doll, the same Malibu Stacy doll, but with a different hat, <laughs> and and everyone just buys that one and like shuts down Lisa's doll. So it's like, and like at one point Lisa's like, why do people want this doll? And like this uh, Smithers is one of the big. He's a Malibu Stacy collector. He's like, she's got a new hat. It's like, ah yes. So the jackal, he's got a new hat. Um, but so there was, um, here's my thing. So if we're, if we're not seeing this person's face, maybe it's someone that we haven't met before or, you know, that, that we need to get a reveal for, or, or maybe we've met him, but not in the context of Spider-Man. So, um, you know, I was trying to think who could that possibly be? Um, and there was a line in this comic, I think it's when he's talking to um, Electro, to Max Dillon, and, you know, Dillon's saying, I'm, I'm not Electro anymore, and the, and the man in red says, I can make miracles happen. And the, the, the specific word choice of miracles made me kind of, you know, spidey senses tingling. And I thought about the, um, the, the Miracle Man comic book series, which, you know, this was an independent comic from, well... The original original goes all the way back to like the 50s, but like, you know, Alan Moore 
kind of retconned this character into this huge, like, soap, you know, superhero soap opera in the 80s. And Marvel acquired the rights to this um, series a few years ago, and they've been reprinting the series, um, but they haven't incorporated the characters into the main universe yet. I mean, they're from a different timeline, but hey, we just had Secret Wars, which has united all these timelines together, so... You know, if they're if they're gonna bring characters in now, this 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 could be the excuse to do that. So I was looking specifically at the villain of the Miracle Man series, which is Kid Miracle Man, also known as Johnny Bates, who is like this huge industrialist who's like was always illustrated to be in these very fine suits and like he was very well coiffed. He had the short, very short haircut that was kind of like almost buzzed to to not a crew cut, but just very short. Um and I mean, he was a sociopath who would like rip people's heads off. So I don't think we're going to get that in Spider-Man. Um, but that's Alan Moore. Um, and he, he, he's an industrialist. So I was like, Oh, could he be like targeting, you know, Parker Industries for some reason? And, you know, like, does he have pa- like powers to, to do miracles? His, he's like, He's got like godlike powers. It's like he can do pretty much anything. That's that's what it is. And it doesn't explain the um the Egyptian motif that we got from the Dead No More teaser. I mean the only the only loose, loose, loose connection I could I can make there is that um you know, part of the reason why these characters have been like so strange copyright wise is that um they're based very heavily on like the DC properties, Captain Marvel, Shazam, and like Black Adam and those things. And there's a lot of um, Egyptian uh, symbolism within that series. Um, I don't see it. I mean, like, you know, when Alan Moore writes it, it's kind of got like this mystical vibe and they like these characters are are kind of projected more as gods than actual heroes. That's kind of a Moorism, an Alan Moorism. So... I mean, you know, the 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 headdress or whatever you want to call it. I mean, that is of an Egyptian god. So maybe, I, but that's and this is where the, the the theory loses steam, in my opinion. But um, it would be different, and it would be a heck of a reveal to be like Marvel deciding, hey, we're going to use these characters now, and this is how we're going to use them to be like adversaries for the heroes. I it, it could be it could be interesting, but it's probably not it. My theory falls apart in similar realms too. That that your theory picks up on is the the term miracles is such a specific word choice. I don't know if it's bolded in the comic, but you know that's not something I've ever seen Miles Warren say. And I don't know how Miles Warren could make a promise to Electro to return his powers other than through like ambiguous science. But that's never been an ability of his. So. Part of my theory is that, you know, the jackal has – he went to rediscover his roots and found some Egyptian artifact or something. I mean weirder things have happened, but I, I wonder if we're going to get a new power set. But frankly, between your and my choice, I hope it's somebody new. Like I would love to get a new rogue for Spider-Man to fight instead of circling the same bunch of bros – Although we got Zodiac, he's kind of relatively new for Spider-Man. But I loved a Spider-Man-specific villain that's new to him. I guess a la Mr. Negative or something. Uh, with an animal motif. 
uh, I think that could be a lot of fun to get get something new and get a, like a fun, interesting backstory like uh, ASM three hundred, where we're surprised at where it came from. Yeah, I, I I agree with that point, and and just to kind of like tie a bow on what I was saying, it, it would tonally it would strike me as strange to have Dan Slot writing basically an Alan Moore creation, but that's not to say that these Miracle Man characters won't start appearing in Marvel continuity soon. Well, we'll put a pin on that until <coughs> I guess the Dead No More story really kicks off in earnest. I imagine we're going to find out his identity in the next, what, six or seven issues? We'll see. Or, <laughs> or, or maybe it's Mason Banks. Or yeah, it's the real Mason Banks. Um, so going back to this issue here, because we, we, we do want to tie up a couple of things. Um, the shuttle scene... I think was really well conceived visually and and thema- and like narratively, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, again, it goes back to like what I had been harping on several issues ago that I like Spider-Man stories where he has to kind of like balance his powers and how he uses them, and I like the detail that the channel is going so fast that he's like only hanging on by a finger or two uh, with his sticky powers. Yeah, I, I I feel like the sticky powers are one of those things that, again, like when we were talking about uh, no one dies last last episode, I, we kind of joked about how like there are certain elements of the power set that I think writers just take for granted, and and oh, of course, he's Spider Man, he can stick to anything, but like I like that we actually showed like this train is going so fast that. He can't just stick to it like like normal, you know what I mean? Like like they're they're actual, you know, like there's he's he's not in, he's not invincible with these powers. I like that the Zodiac, or I guess the Scorpio, uh, had like a harness hanging him out to the side of the channel. Because there, there was a point where I reread this and I was like, wait a minute, if Spider Man can't stick to this, how is the Scorpio doing it? And then if you look really carefully, he's like literally strapped himself to the side of the train. <laughs> uh, in order to in order to stay uh, uh, up with it, um, but yeah, I liked that, and I liked all the Anna Maria and and the Living Brain slash Otto Octavius interplay that occurred during the channel scene. It's, yes. It actually gets like it's funny and it's really creepy at points. Yeah, I mean, where he talks about his body being the ultimate vessel. I mean, but that's great. Like this is this is the kind of stuff I would expect from the spirit of Otto Octavius living in the Living Brain. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I thought that was really fun, and, uh, and 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 the visuals involving him transferring from the train to the car midair, I thought was uh, really enjoyable. I, I, again, you know, another really well crafted action sequence from Giuseppe Camoncoli. Um, and the Vernon Jacobs reveal. Um does have I feel one of the funnier slot jokes from recent memory where Peter I think, admits, I think we both like this one quite a bit. You know, like Peter feels bad and Anna Maria is like, oh don't feel bad. He could have deceived anybody. And Peter's like, but I was the secret Santa. And I just I that just really landed with me. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I laughed out loud reading the comic on that one. And and that was a big thing. Like all of the jokes in this book worked for me. Because they all felt like they came from character or were kind of making fun of the content itself. Like, I mean, that, the secret Santa thing is just so ludicrous. Right. He's 
got a secret that's uh, uh, on the one guy that's managing to hold all the secrets. Great, great stuff. Right, right. Um, what did you think about this reveal? Because we find out that the reason that Parker Industry went from literal ashes to worldwide mega corporation is because uh, using their uh, fu- fortune telling powers, I guess, or future predicting powers. The Zodiac was able to invest a great deal of money into Parker Industries and, like, I guess, falsely bolster the worth of the company so that they could ride it into financial success. I don't really know how that works necessarily. Yeah, again, but- this is this is going back to, like, the, the, the vagueness of these powers and the motivations behind it because then – you know, why Parker Industries? And then why are you trying to sink Parker Industries if you have all this money invested in it? Which doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, or why did you need Leanne Tang from previous issues to, uh, like, infiltrate Parker Industries and things like that? If you have these two guys that are essentially clairvoyant and and can do whatever, it, it really casts a lot of data to like, why were they trying to steal the webware? Why were they trying to do all of these things previously? It's a retcon that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. Right. Um, so, But it's an answer nevertheless. Uh, yeah. I mean, we finally have like, you know, I've been saying for months, like how did this, how did Peter Parker, Dan Slott's Peter Parker of all people build this company up? And I guess that makes sense in that context. Uh, I want to be critical of the, I guess, this the last few pages of this book because um, I think it works in this issue that like we're following Peter into you know the apartment and I mean man what kind of real estate this guy owns in Paris to build <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like these underground I guess uh, giant domed space stations I guess uh, maybe not space stations what I'm not look- looking for what's the what is it called the uh, uh, you go to the planetarium? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I think takes away the fun of this reveal is that, you know, instead of discovering this alongside Peter, where we're going into the apartment and being like, oh my gosh, this guy was here all along, we kind of already know all of this stuff. So Peter is just catching up to us, which I think makes the reveal less surprising um and i i wonder like it's weird what dan slot chose to reveal for the audience and what he chose not to tell us i feel like if he had told us that the stuff about the uh the zodiac investing in parker industries early you and i would have been like okay great we know why parker industries is the way it is and held back on this other stuff i feel like he should have switched what the (laughs) reveal was in this issue right right yeah yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, this is like I said, this is there there's still a lot of muddy reasoning and justification behind a lot of what's going on both in this story and in the larger status quo. Yeah. And then one last thing. Ori. Ori. Rural juror. <laughs> um I did like the final final uh few panels of this issue though with like Peter kind of willing to put it all on the line. Again, I, I like these are great character moments, and and I think the only thing that keeps me from being even more enthusiastic is it. There's such an inconsistency with how this character has been written over the last six, seven months that or two years, two years. This is true. 
um, that you, you just don't know when he's going to revert back to kind of being this man child, incompetent, can't do anything for himself character again. So, um, but in this in this issue, enjoyed it. Yeah, and and I like that um, by by having the success of Parker Industries not necessarily beating being Peter's success, that it gives a back door for us to like exit this status quo without making Peter seem like a huge loser. Uh, right. Because it wasn't really his successes that got him there in the first place necessarily. Correct. Uh, you want to get to grades? Sure. Yeah. I'm giving this one a B plus. What about you? I'm right there with you, Dan. B plus. We're in agreement. Yay. Yay. Well, speaking of agreement here, Mark, I think we can both agree that we should never have named our special club what we named it. You mean the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, Dan? The only one. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, beyond the obnoxious name, we we are happy that we have a new member, uh, or at least a, a member who's upgraded his account. We we want to thank Chris Dunn uh, for for doing that. Uh, you know, of course, this is our our Patreon account where you guys sign up and and pledge to give us a certain amount of money every month, and then we give you lots of cool stuff, right, Dan? Yeah, we've been giving out a lot of great codes, and you know, you get T-shirts and bumper stickers and. Uh, uh, coffee mugs and, and things in the mail specifically with our logos and jokes and so on. And there's a really nice community forming uh, on the Patreon page. And one of our favorite things, and I think I, I hope our listeners are enjoying it, is that we do special members-only episodes. Uh, last episode we did a members-only discussion of season two of Daredevil – um, and I imagine we're going to be doing uh, a, a special episode discussing Civil War uh, in, in the future. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, provided I can get a babysitter and get to the movie theater, Dan. You will, Mark. You okay. will. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Come on. You're not going to miss Spidey on the big screen. I don't want to. <laughs> I do not want to. Um, yeah, so uh, help us get to our next goal, right, Dan? Because we're only, what, Five bucks away a month from from uh, you being absolved from or not absolved from you having the pressure of doing lots of stuff every month now. Yeah, I have to I have to keep up with the images every month, no matter my current predicament. So even if you have a migraine, uh, even if I have a migraine, sorry about that last week. You know, my computer was emitting a high pitch frequency that always gives me a headache when I edit these things, and we almost didn't record today. And Mark, I haven't even told you this. Yeah, because I finally took my computer to the Apple Store to get it fixed, and uh, they did—they didn't charge me anything because I think they, when they fixed my computer previously, they installed something incorrectly and forced me to have migraines every week. So, wow, that's uh, something. So there you go. I got a free repair, and now I'm going to be delivering this podcast without having to take a bunch of Tylenol every week. So, migraine, migraine free since 83. There you go. So problem solved. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's really great. And, um, 
So we also do these raffles, I guess, about every other episode. And uh, last week we teased our – we were going to be giving away these awesome vintage Marvel calendars. And we're going to be giving away three of these. So for the next couple weeks, we're going to give away one. So our first one, we have a winner, Mark. Do you want to give me another really terrible drum? Uh, or do you, want, do you want to give me like a bow, 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 bow? Man, you know what? If you if you join our club, you can dictate us not doing that. <laughs> yes, please dictate it. Okay, so our uh, our, our first winner of the vintage calendar is none other than Patrick Beeler. Not Bueller. Not Bueller. 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 So, so Patrick, keep an eye on your mailbox because you'll be getting a calendar very soon, and. Uh, Anybody else who wants to get entered into the the raffle to get a free awesome calendar can uh, go to our Patreon page. How do they find it, Mark? Uh, well, you go to either one of our websites, superiorspidertalk.com or chasingamazingblog.com and just click on the, the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club logo. Why did we name it that? I don't know, Mark. But I will say, even if you're not going to join... The club, or if you're just curious, we made this awesome video that we worked really hard on making, and I'd, I'd love to see what everybody thinks about our, our promotional video. Yes, yes. And speaking of what people think of our stuff, let's get to your, our comments and emails. So, uh, as always, we here at Amazing Spire Talk, we welcome your comments on iTunes. Uh, so you do that by searching on Amazing Spider Talk or just Spider-Man on iTunes and we'll come on up, give us a rating, leave a comment, we'll read it on the air. Um, you can also email us questions at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or tweet at us with the hashtag okay to print. Also, don't forget to call our, our hotline at 9RedGoblin, greatest... Hotline number ever. It slices. It dices. It makes it, fries. It makes Julian fries. <laughs> anyway, you know, before I, I, I hack up along on Dan here, I'm going to read this first note from uh, Kevin Ewing. Uh, he says, guys, soon heroes will be choosing sides in both the Marvel comics and cinematic universes. If a superhero civil war were to break out over whether annuals counted, what side would Marvel heroes and or Spider-Man supporting cast members choose? Civilly yours, Kevin Ewing. I love this question, Dan. I know certainly if I was in the Marvel Universe Civil War, what side I would choose. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm recruiting members. So I think if I'm fighting for the annuals, that means I get the Sinister Six. I get the Avengers. <laughs> I get Peter's parents as shield agents. I get the fly, and I get Frank Miller in a wedding dress. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you can if you can top Frank Miller in a wedding dress. <laughs> Frank Miller in a wedding dress. What is what? Are, what are you, what are you, which annual are you talking about? Oh, because he he wrote one of the annuals, right? He did. He his first uh, appearance uh, in I guess the, in Spider Man world was uh, he drew an annual. That's right. That's right. Was it a pun? It was Punisher, right? It was. Yes. Of course, it was Punisher. Frank. <laughs> I think it might be the first time he drew the Punisher. I think if if you put Frank Miller in a wedding dress, he'd probably like, you know, have his sadistic version of Batman come and kill you. <laughs> 
Well, I, I think my team is pretty unstoppable. I mean, I got the fly vomiting on people and then eating them. I got P- Peter's parents as shield agents backing me up. I mean, the an- the annual team is pretty strong here, Mark. Yeah, I mean, you know, but then I get like everybody else, Dan. So, um, you know, I'll oh, take oh, is, a- is that how this works? Well, you know. In terms of what counts, I mean, you know, if we're only counting what appears in annuals on your team, then I get everything else. No, I, so, think, I think you just get the characters from the end of the earth one shot. <laughs> and I get I, I get Flash Venom, right? Yeah, there you go. There but, you I, go. but I don't get Overdrive because I don't have that new that free comic book day one. Nope, nope. Director's cut. <laughs> oh, Dan. Anywho. So we got we got another email that I'm going to read here, Mark, uh, from uh, Tom Ayello, our, our frequent uh, fan. Yeah. Who I actually got to meet up with at WonderCon a couple weeks ago. So it was really oh, that's nice. awesome. It was really nice to meet Tom and, uh, and finally put like a face to, uh, I guess, a, a type typeface uh, <laughs> who is a, a villain <laughs> in the Marvel there Universe. Go. There you go. But uh, he said, uh, Mark, when are we going to see the video we were promised years ago? I've been a loyal fan and have donated, donated some decent money, but no video of you dancing a la Spider-Man 3 yet. Dearest right. Tom. Maybe this summer I'll finally get around to recording it. I, I do owe you people that. And, Maybe. Uh, I want to see an emo Mark tap dancing his way down the street. Do 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 do. I wish you guys could see this right now. Mark is dancing on the other end of this Skype video. Uh, I'm teasing y'all. I'm teasing y'all. <clears throat> anyway, thanks, Tom, for writing in, and I will get to it. I promise. I'm a man of my word, even if that word is like three years old. Uh, last email here from uh, from Justin, who writes annuals. Yeah, they don't count. Woo! I just added that sound effect. I say that because I have a subscription through Marvel, Midtown Comics, or ASM. That subscription does not include annuals, nor does it include the point whatever issues. That tells me that only the standard issues count because those extra issues are just that, extras. Plus, annuals have their own issue count, making them a totally separate title outside of ASM proper. Dad, I am dropping the mic. Yeah, thanks, Justin. This is this, I'm thanking you from the bottom of my heart. No, that's that's a, that's a legit argument, but that's that's a legit argument from a from a sales perspective. Uh, we're talking collections here, Mark. We're talking collections, not not how Midtown organizes you buying their product. And I should know because I used to work at Midtown. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that if if I. I, I've made this argument so many times. It's it's it's, it's about categorizing and cataloging and uh, forget it. That's that's nerdy stuff. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about deep in the bottom of your heart. It's nerdy stuff. We're talking about collecting comic books here, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, I'll count. I'll give you. I'll give you a one a point in in your win column, but. Just, uh, just- Justin is totally on my Civil War team. That's all I know. I need some support here, people. Write in. Help, give me some help here. Fight, help me fight back against Justin, who's on Mark's Civil War team. Yes. Any, you know, anywho. Of, uh, <laughs> annuals assemble. Yeah. Does the, uh, you know, if I was, uh, uh, if I was collecting Spider-Gwen, what, does the Spider-Woman one-shot count? Uh, the, the alpha one? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, of course it does. So do you have like maximum clonage alpha and beta and all those ones? No, from the I 90s? don't. I don't. Uh... Okay, you're right. Just saying. All right, let's get to some spider news, Dan. Well, Mark, this week, you know, well, I guess the, we haven't done spider news in a number of weeks, but uh, there's been a lot of really big news. Um, I guess the biggest one is that we finally found out what the name of the new Spider-Man movie is. And, uh, you know, there were some teases about this. We saw Sony buying up all these domains. One of them was Spider-Man coming-of-age story, and I got to read a number of news articles writing, is the new Spider-Man movie called Spider-Man Coming-of-Age? And I was (laughs) like, are you for real right now? Uh, But uh, the title ended up being one of those domains, and it's Spider-Man Homecoming, and we got some fancy title art, which I'll put right down in your player right now. Mark, what are your thoughts about this title and the art itself? Um, Well, you know, in terms of the title, some people were like, hey, there's a Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends story called Homecoming. That's like the Black Suit saga. I don't think it's going to have anything to do with that. We're going to get I'm... the first post-Secret Wars <laughs> issue yeah. as a movie. Yeah, I don't think so, Dan. Um, but, um, yeah, um, uh, clearly this is a play off the high school theme of the series, which is, you know, fine for me. Uh, the art is a little, I don't know. It seems very kind of slapped together. I don't know how else to describe it. I wasn't like impressed with the design of it. I feel like it's something that you might see on our site. <laughs> like it's like, hey, this was this was the 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 quickest typeface we could find. Like the little Spider Man face and the O of Homecoming. I don't know. It's all it's playful, but like I, I don't know. I mean. I was not that impressed by it. And and there was something weird about the text of the name Spider-Man, how it like really hardly arcs up to the right. Like it was just – I was like, am I reading this lopsided? (laughs) Yeah, it was a little strange. But but again, I like like the the high school theme and this is clearly going to be a reboot but not – hopefully not another Uncle Ben origin story. And and it seems to me like they're trying to play off the whole, like, Spider-Man is coming home to the Marvel Universe thing with Homecoming. It's not a sexy title, I don't think. But, you know, uh, we'll see how it ends up, if it ends up being indicative of of the movie itself. I could see the movie ending where Spider-Man gets a date to the Homecoming dance and they slowly dance under the, the, (laughs) under the sea dance. Uh, with a Marty McFly running around. I would say, uh, and Leah Thompson. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, for, yeah. revisiting Howard the Duck. I mean, what are we what are we doing here? Uh, we're, <laughs> well, yeah, that's funny. We we're uh, we, we're getting some small and like casting announcements about people joining uh, the Spider Man movie as his friends of characters we've never heard of, like Marcos. And it seems to me that they're very much trying to make Spider Man's world reflect like. Queens in 2016 with these kind of, uh, you know, like different ethnicities. And we're getting Tony Revolori is one of the actors. And I loved him in um, the Grand Budapest Hotel from a couple of years ago. So uh, that's a really exciting announcement to me. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it sounds like it's going to have a nice mixed cast here. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they update it. And then also from CinemaCon where this previous announcement was made, we got an announcement that the, um, the Spider-Man animated film still exists, which oh, yay. we had talked about previously, and it's slated for December 2018. Um, it's not R-rated like the Batman Killing Joke animated film, right? Yeah, who knows? I hope not. I think Marvel is a little more on top of them, themselves in terms of, hey, maybe our movies shouldn't be R-rated. Uh, I've seen Batman vs Superman. I'm surprised it wasn't already R-rated. Uh, that there's an R-rated cut is like they must have just cut out like just a couple of things uh, because I thought that movie was pretty gruesome. Um, yeah, and, uh, and then um, in terms of um, other cinema type stories, we have a Cloak and Dagger TV show that's going to be on Freeform, which was formerly ABC Family, which is a very strange rename, rebrand, but that's not for me to decide. Yeah, it seems like they're going to be trying to do what the CW is doing with uh, DC's, you know, kind of like teenage-oriented shows. I guess the same is true about Supergirl. They seem like they're very squarely aiming at a family-slash-teenage audience, and and I think Cloak and Dagger is actually a really great fit for that uh, is this a live action or animated it's man? live action uh okay dagger um especially like you know the ultimate versions where they were kind of like high school sweethearts that ended up in an accident together i could really see that being a, a good premise for uh, you know a tv show and you can do the whole anti-drug angle to make it you know somewhat uh, i guess a learning opportunity yeah, no, I, I I look forward to this, and and even though it's formerly ABC Family, there is a kind of a, a broad spectrum of content on that channel. So it's I don't think it's going to necessarily be like a neutered down television show. No, absolutely not, and 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 I'm even more excited because this could be the Trojan horse to get us a Cloak and Dagger series again. Oh, you mean in the comics? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I would have to imagine they'll they'll find a way to tie it in. Yeah, so that's a, all, all. That's exciting. I, I, I think. I mean, like more Marvel television is always a good thing. I think. Yeah, depending on what it is, but I think this this definitely has some potential. Sure. Um, we got the final Dead No More teaser, which we talked about in our main review. Any other additional thoughts that we didn't cover in our review, Dan? Well, what did you think about how they uh, revealed this thing? They gave us one new piece of art every day, leading up to the final reveal of Otto Octavius returning. It seems to his body. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, I thought it was a well done reveal. I mean, we but we kind of got this with Spider Verse too. These kind of like panels to reveal like a panoramic visual, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, was there anything that stood out to you? Like for me, it was the return of Kane was interesting um, as Scarlet Spider. Um, I was not expecting that necessarily to tie in with this story. Yeah, I mean. But it definitely, like as we were saying during the 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 um, no one dies review a couple of weeks ago, I mean, like there definitely just seems to be a sense of this tying up a lot of the loose ends from Slot's earlier run. Whether this is his last story or not remains to be seen. But um, it seems like every one of these reveals was kind of tying in a different element of something we've seen earlier during the Slot run, dating back to post. Uh, brand new, you know, th- try publishing kind of a thing, going back to big time, even you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And uh, I guess the final big news, and this was delved into a lot more um, on the Ultimate Spin podcast where they had an amazing interview with Robbie Rodriguez discussing this news, is that Robbie announced – Robbie, who is the artist on Spider-Gwen, announced that he's going to be retiring from comics after an upcoming Gwenum story, which is the character – this kind of made-up variant cover character of, I guess, Spider-Gwen and Venom being – combined is going to get its own story in the pages of spider gwen and it's going to be about a year-long story and then after that robbie is going to be leaving comics um which he had been hinting at for a while because of his degenerative eye condition um but uh the, the ultimate spin really covered this in a great detail with an interview with him and uh if you haven't listened to that i highly recommend checking that out very cool dan so um why don't we take us on home now Sure. Of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcast at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a rating and a review. We love reading them on the show, and they really help us expand our audience and get on the front page of iTunes. Definitely. And be sure to check out our Facebook pages and subscribe to our sister podcast, as Dan just well, gratefully plugged the ultimate spin, uh, and most of all, leave us voicemails at Nine Red Goblin. We love those those voicemails. You got to get your fry maker in the mail too, so that's the only way to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, be sure to join our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, and uh, you'll hear Mark and I discuss the upcoming Civil War. Uh, movie as it as it comes out and get all kinds of amazing rewards and listen to our full back catalog of extra members only episodes uh, including our interview with Alan Sherstall about his interview with Dan Slott and uh, our, which which is kind of inception level uh, fun and uh, and our our discussion of Daredevil season two excellent excellent and uh our schedule's a little screwed up right now, Dan, which I know, but, you know, hopefully one of these days we'll be getting an essential in. So, what, be sure to check our Facebook pages and Twitter, and we'll we'll certainly let you all know what to read up on before we record. Yeah, sorry this episode was a couple days late. Mark has been traveling a lot, and I'm in the midst of, uh, of uh, pre-production on a commercial that I'm directing. So um, we're co- both super busy. But we're going to still try to get you guys timely stuff. We're just not entirely sure how it's all going to shake up. It's a surprise. Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Mark, uh, in the meanwhile, uh, how can people keep up with you and us, I guess, in terms of what we're doing on the Internet? Well, of course, you can find my writings at superiorspidertalk.com when I'm writing. I haven't had a new mystery piece in a while, but I'll hopefully solve that soon. Uh, Or you can tweet at me at ChasingASMblog and, uh, you know... I'm sure there's lots to tweet about, whether it's my theories about Kid Miracle Man or, you know, you just want to make fun of me about the Mets. <laughs> what about you, Dan? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk or my other less frequented Twitter account at Dan Gavazdan. You can read everything that I'm writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And, uh, yeah, and uh, read all the other stuff that all of our other contributors are doing because they're always putting in awesome work. Um, we just put up a... <laughs> A review of Web Warriors number six today, and uh, I always love reading contributor Doug Zawiza's uh, reviews on our site. So go and check out all the awesome work that's being done there. 
All right, Dan. So are we all done here or uh, is we going to get the improv challenge of the week here? You know, we, we made a lot of uh, a lot of fun about Ori as, as, as a crazy word. But uh, I always thought, Mark, that the channel was a really funny word. It's kind of like uh, um, Lovecraftian in a, in a sort of way. I could see hmm. it being like this kind of crazy villain uh, or something that like uh, Shakespeare would have made up if he had lived to see its invention. You know, you know, say, Mark, uh, you're something of a Shakespeare wonk. Uh, how did you come across the great bard? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I love the Bard. I've seen many of his great plays performed over the years. Um, but, you know, the, the true foundation from that comes from my Uncle Ben, uh, who um, was actually a um, – he was one of the players, not in Shakespeare's times. Come on, I, you know, this guy's not that old. But, um, you know, he, he, he did some performances over the years in some major uh, places. He was in Chicago and New York, and he – heck of a thespian, heck of a thespian, except – uh, he got a little too careless one time. Um, he, um, have you ever heard the the whole thing? How you're not supposed to say the word Macbeth in a theater? In a theater, it's bad luck. You no, know this, I, right? I don't know this. I don't. I know about breaking a leg. Oh well, no, but this is a legitimate, um, you know, theater superstition that if you say Macbeth uh, during rehearsals uh, or or whatever, because I mean the. the it's supposed to be referred to as the Scottish play if you want to refer to Macbeth. Oh, I've because, heard that loosely, yes. Yes, because it's considered very bad luck. Well, I mean, Uncle Ben, you, you know you know him. He has no fear. He's fearless. He's a fearless actor. That's why, you know, he was so good at, at what he – and I, I, I unfortunately have to say was so good at what he did. He was – in in a theater, he was rehearsing, and it wasn't he wasn't a Scottish play. He did not see he was not rehearsing the Scottish play, um, and he just got very arrogant one day. I think he might have had a couple couple of drinks. Nah, you know, I don't even know what it was. He was just he was just feeling his oats, and he was you know on stage and you know rehearsing, and he just started saying Macbeth, 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 and all of a sudden a giant sandbag drops from the ceiling onto his head. Cracked his skull open, and and that he died, and that's how he died by saying Macbeth in a theater, uh, which is very tragic. Which is good because Shakespeare was the master of tragedy. Um, I, think I, they were actually, I heard that his stagehand finished his line for him in the play to kind of finish the scene off. Yes, well, to, to finish the scene off, the stagehand was like, "Wow, that was much ado about nothing." But also remember. With great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. 